Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Uh, we are in a series right now on First uh, Corinthians, and we've been talking much about the love of God. And how the love of God should not only just be in our lives, but it should be our brand as a church. That loving God and loving people, Jesus says this is how we will be known, for how we love. And yet it's very easy to get out of alignment with that vision. And out of alignment in that activity as a church. And a lot of this begins with how we look at our friendships and our relationships. And many of us need to realize that we need to increase some relationships and decrease some relationships and cancel some relationships. When you are growing up, uh, you know, in life, we walk into life pretty much relationally passive. You're friends with the people that are in your classrooms, you're friends with the people in your neighborhood, and you're friends with people possibly in your home. But friendships came by association. You just hung out or you were around certain people and those friendships grew. Maybe you went to college and you had a same dorm room or you had a same friend and they were all connected. But those friendships grew over time. You were around one another. So proxemics was the main way you could define how you grew. You were around all the time. But over time, we have to learn how to become more relationally selective how to figure out who should be in my life and who I should get connected to. And it becomes very difficult in the day and age we live in because relationships aren't an issue of being around people now or having access to people through all types of apps and all types of social media means. We can have connection to people. And so the modern day loneliness that we experience is not an absence of interaction, but rather an absence of intimacy. So we feel this desperate need to be connected to people. And so because people are hard to trust and we don't know and we oftentimes don't really know how to operate with any depth, what ends up happening is we just say, I'm going to, as, as you know, my dad would say, as the young folks say, we're just going to hang out with my day ones, you know, the people I've known all the time in my life. And as the philosopher uh, Aubrey Drake Graham said, no new friends. I'm not going to have any new friends. It's going to hang around with the people I've always known, the people I trust, because you know, you know how people are. People are people, and you know how people are, you know. So, so, so in light of that, so in light of that, we, 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 we kind of keep this very high guard up. But the reality is, is that God has made us to experience people. And moreover, you need people in your life to be the loving God, loving person that God has intended you to be. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, and let us watch out for one another. That's what he says. Let us look around at one another, watch out for each other, and so to provoke love and good works. Now that word provoke there in the Greek, it's the same, you hear it in other versions, it says spur each other on towards love and good deeds, but it's this idea, it's this idea of convulsing, shaking somebody, waking someone up to the point that they would do the things they would not naturally do. And so if you were 
making Kool-Aid back in the day. You put the, the stuff in the water and it settles down to the bottom. You gotta put the sugar in, depending on how much you wanna experience sugar or diabetes or all that stuff, but how much you wanna put that in and you gotta stir it up because if you don't stir it up, it settles down to the bottom. And in the same way, as believers, if we don't stir each other up, we settle down and we don't love. And so what the Bible says is that you've gotta be provoked to love. You, there are people that will naturally cancel that God is calling us to love, to care for, and oftentimes, the way we view people isn't just our view, but the, pe- the views of the others we surround ourselves with. So the scripture tells us that we must have this. And he says in verse 25, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. In other words, he says, you can find yourself in the habit of not placing yourself in a position to be provoked to love. Now, notice he doesn't say some are in the habit of not hanging out. We love to hang out. We love to chill. We love finding a cookout and being together and playing. Getting. He's not talking about hanging out. He's talking about fellowship. The Bible says in Proverbs 27 and 17 that iron sharpens iron. So does one man or one person sharpen one another. So it is placing yourself in a position not just to be in the midst of people, but being around people that are going to provoke love and good deeds. Challenge me to love people. Spur me on. Wake me up to the context around me that God has positioned me in so I can be the loving person God has called me to be. Now the context of the verse we're going to look at today has to do with how a community allowed themselves to not be very uh, wise and aware of how they were being affected by someone in their community. And the culture at the time there in Corinth was sex and sexuality was actually what was worshipped at the time. If you were to walk into Corinth, if you were to walk into the city, you would see people from all around the area called Achaia. That area drew people from everywhere because it was called a port city, meaning you could pull your boat up in there and you could do commerce. So you had all types of merchants and they were selling all types of goods. And so because of that, people would come for a certain period of time, two or three days, sell their goods and go home. But while you were there, when you walked into that port city, the first thing you would most likely see is you would see the temple that was created to Aphrodite. This temple was on top of a mountain. This mountain was 1,900 feet tall. Now, you got to remember the One World Trade Center is 1,700 feet tall. So it is a huge mountain that you walk up to, and the first thing you see is Aphrodite. And people would walk up that mountain, and as they would go up to the mountain and they would worship in the temple, they would experience, the way they would experience worship is The priestesses were prostitutes and going there, when I say Aphrodite, you hear that word aphrodisiac. The the whole concept of worshiping Aphrodite was that you would have this, this powerful sexual experience. And this was the way people grew up. They grew up in the culture always seeing sex, sexuality, and they would always see the mountain. They would always see Aphrodite. And they would see people come in and out of Corinth just for the weekend to go home back to wherever they lived in the region of Achaia. And so things haven't changed. In many ways, Corinth is much like Las Vegas. You would just come in and come out and do stuff for a few days. And what happened in Vegas stays in Vegas. And what happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth, praise God. And so people were just doing dirt, and they were living their lives, and they were worshiping sex and sexuality. And the city had gotten so 
known for sex that the phrase Corinthize, if somebody was a, a, a real Corinthize type person, that was a person that was overly sexual and that was known throughout the region. So that the phrase came from the city and the city had a rep. Now, in light of that, you'll then understand that what is happening in the church is that they've seen something in the culture so much that it was hard for them to see it creeping into the church. Because if it's happening in the world, it's happening in the church. And it's working its way in. And, but, the, but as a church, we have to be able to identify those things that might change our culture or change the way that we operate. And so what he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, he says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. He says pagan, he means people outside of the church. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And what he says here is, there is a young man who has a stepmother, and he's not saying this is his father's ex-wife, this is his father's current wife, and somehow they have gotten into a relationship. And it's not that they just had one night, they are in a consistent relationship, and they are coming into this community, and no one is saying anything about it. Now, here's the thing that you have to be very careful about. When we hear this text, when legalists hear this text, they're like, mm-hmm, got to kick them sinners out. You got to kick them sinners out. Where are the sinners at? Where are the sinners at? Raise your hand if you're sinners. And we want to get them out of the church. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the fact that there are people who are in sin and committing sin in the church. Here's the next part. He says, and you are proud. The problem wasn't that there were sinners in the church. The problem was that the church had begun to celebrate their sin. And it was their celebration of sin. It was their celebration of going away from God's ways that caused Paul to have to rebuke this. They were flaunting this person's behavior. He says, you all have become proud. And in many ways, we could obviously fall into the same traps. When you have a friend who is with somebody that is, looks good to them but is not good for them, and we celebrate the fact that, oh, you're with somebody. Well, that's good. But his problem is they are promoting and celebrating something that is off from God's ways. And they could simply say, it's not me doing it. I'm not, I, look, I'm, I'm with the same person I've been with the last two years. I'm not with nobody's mom. He's like, no, no, no. It's not just what you're doing. It's what you promote. It's what you've grown comfortable with. He's like, nobody's saying anything. It's just, you've grown comfortable with it. In the Bible, you know, oftentimes we say, well, I just want to be loving. But the Bible says, in 1 Corinthians 13 and 6, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. So what we celebrate is important. And what we promote can affect us and infect our worship. So what Paul goes on to say is, shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove from your congregation the one who did this now? 
churches take this verse and they go crazy with it and they try to kick everybody out that's fallen into sin. That's not the point he's getting at. He's getting at the fact that this was affecting them and it was affecting the way that they were living their lives. But moreover, this person was unrepentant in sin. And this is about 20 or 30 people. This is a group of friends. This is not church like this. this they weren't in a building. They were in somebody's house. When people did communion, it wasn't like how we do it. They actually had a meal. They sat down. They, they ate together all the time, hung out together all the time. They were a bunch of friends. And as a community, Paul says, you need to cancel that person if they're not willing to change. And he's saying you've got to essentially remove yourself from being around them. Why? Because they're affecting you. And Paul goes on to say, verse 6, you're boasting. Again, look, tie it into what he says early. He says, you are proud. Now he says in verse 6, this is what he's rebuking. He's not rebuking the fact that they were in the community. He's rebuking their attitude. He says in verse 6, your boasting is not good. The things you've been saying, the things that you are celebrating, it's not good. And then he uses an imagery. Don't you know a little yeast or a little leaven, a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? And what he's talking about, he's saying there is that the way yeast works is that it makes the entire dough rise. And you only just need a little bit and it begins to spread and grow. And so you've got, you got to make sure that's why they would have unleavened bread. It was a picture of sin. And he was saying there, just a little bit of passivity towards the sin around us can begin to affect us. And so he says, as you uh, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, verse 8, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. There, Paul is invoking the idea of the Passover. He's going back to the Old Testament. He says, you know, back in the Old Testament time, do you remember the Exodus? Do you remember Moses? Do you remember the night that they were leaving Egypt and on that night God was judging the entire city? And if they did not have the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, those people would be judged. And the Passover was the death angel passing over a home. And on that night, on that very night, God would slaughter. He would slaughter tons of people. And it was only the people who had the blood on their posts, their doorposts. Those were the people that would make it out of the city. And there was their liberation that was happening. God was rescuing them. And he says, whenever you do this, you are celebrating the fact that the lamb was slain for our sin. And what Paul is clearly saying is that instead of celebrating and promoting the sin of your friends celebrate and promote the fact that sin has a debt. It has a cost. 
And the Passover lamb was this imagery of that, the fact that we were rescued from the debt slavery of sin, and now we have a new liberation in Christ. That is our celebration. That is our community that we hold tight, most tight to. And so he encourages them. On the night that they left from the Exodus, they would run out, and in running out, they were running out so fast, many of them forgot leaven. And so till this day, Unleavened bread is the imagery you see to remind people to remove sin from their midst because sin spreads quietly. And sin will spread in your life quietly. And you will do things you never thought you'd do and say things you never thought you'd say and be places you never thought you'd be because sin moves in silence. It changes you. And people will say, well, I'm, listen, I'm not doing, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of things I'm not doing. You know what I'm saying? I'm not wilding out. I got friends who are wilding out. I got friends who are wilding out. You know, they're wild. I could tell you about three or four of my friends and some wild boys. We're not talking about people out there who may be what you consider wildly sinful. We're not even just talking about Christian or non-Christian. We are talking about, because Christians can cause you to sin too. We're not talking about somebody. Satan comes as an angel of light. You know, the the guy that's going to push up to you and cause you to sin, he's not going to be up there with a red suit on like, I'm ready to sin, girl. He's going to have a Bible in his hand. He's going to be like, yeah, you know, I go to church, went to church one time. You know what I'm saying? I know a few verses. It's always going to be somebody that looks good, like they're righteous, but they do unrighteous things. Those will be the people that cause you to stray away from being, listen, I'm not talking about doing things that God doesn't want you to do. I'm talking about not being the person God wants you to be. Because God didn't make you so that you would walk away from him. God shaped you to be close. And anyone who is preventing you from getting close to him is a problem. You ever have, you ever have a friend you cool with? Me and you are cool. You got another friend, me and you are cool. But they not cool. You ever have that? It's like super weird, right? Oh my God. It's like, what's up? Oh, then they come together, it's like zag. And they hate each other. And it makes everything hard. And what the Bible says is friendship with God is enmity with the world. And so if you put yourself in a position where I am friends with someone and they are infecting my worship and corroding my praise, then God's got a problem with them because God's got a problem with that. And I think where we lose sight is we believe we are less impressionable than we really are. But in fact, church of God, we must guard our circles of influence because you are much more impressionable than you think. You are moldable. 
What you hear, what you see, what you allow in your mind, what you allow in your heart, and the people you allow to influence you are having an impression on you. My homeboy, we used to hang out all the time years ago, and uh, I moved to another city. And so one of my friends gave him a call. And they got off the phone. He says, you know what? Y'all sound just alike. In fact, I can't tell y'all apart. I mean, he had the same, like, the same cadence and the, you know what I'm saying? Y'all said something to say. Y'all sound just the same. And if we're honest, we know that there are people that when we're around them, we begin to suddenly unconsciously, 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 praise God, without us knowing we are mimicking a model without knowing it. We are repeating sometimes when we don't know we're on repeat. And so we must guard. The Bible talks about guarding your heart. You have to guard your eyes. You have to guard your mind. You have to be careful because you are impressionable. Somehow we thought only kids are impressionable. You know, isn't it funny, like, only nasty movies are created, like, they're called, like, rated R, like, that's adult. Why are the adult movies the bad movies? Like, we need to realize that you're still impressionable. And realize that God has made us that way. Like, we need people to impress on us. We need people to work on us and shape us. And so... Here's where Paul clarifies. He clarifies for us. He says in verse 9, I wrote you, I wrote to you in my letter, acknowledging that a lot of historians note that this is most likely a second letter that he's writing to them, and he had written one before to them. He wrote to I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral. People. Now, the word sexually immoral is the word, the Greek word porneia. It's where we get the word pornography from, okay? And some people translate that, some versions of the King James call that fornication. Gotta say that with a deep southern national, like fornication. Gotta say that real tough, right? But it's fornicating, right? But I, I don't want you to be around those sexually immoral people. You know, those people, those, 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 those sinners that, that do sexual things. And that, that word means anything outside of a relationship between a husband and a wife. You know those people out there. But Paul says, yeah, I wrote in my letter that you wouldn't associate with them. But then he says in verse 10, and he clarifies. Thank you so much, Paul, for clarifying. Thank you. I appreciate this clarification. He says in verse 10, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. He says the only place that's going to be holy is outside of here. You're going to always be around people doing dirt. No, I didn't mean don't be around anyone doing anything against the name of God. No, you'd have to leave the planet. But I appreciate him clarifying this. So good. So what he says is, no, I don't, I didn't mean don't be around anyone who had sin issues. But what I do mean is this, verse 11, 
But now, just to clarify, I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. And then he says, don't even or do not even eat with such people. Paul says here is that you need to reduce your fellowship or remove your fellowship from people that are claiming to know Jesus but living opposite of his ways. Now, let me just, another point of clarity. This is thousands of years ago in a community where Christianity wasn't like it is in America, where there are lots of people who say they're Christian but live all different types of ways. So it's a little bit more difficult to anchor down in the culture we're in where everybody has a gold cross and everybody says they're Christian and everybody's spiritual. and So it gets really confusing. But that's not what he's really talking about, just being around someone who names the name of Jesus. He's really talking about his heartbeat isn't just people who aren't living it out. His heartbeat is people who aren't letting you live it out. People who are preventing you from flourishing in your walk with God. No, he clarifies before. No, I want y'all to be around all types of people, of course. Of course I want you to be in relationship with people who don't know God. You know, coming up here in two weeks, we're going to have a party. Uh, it's called Fall Forward. And we want people to invite all types of friends. Yeah, we want to we play music that's fun. And, you know, of course... You know, I already invited some of my friends in my apartment. They're like, okay, so do I have to bring a Bible? And what's this going to be about? And, you know, and just like, do I do this? How does it go again? And how do you do the beads? And I'm like, well, first of all, we don't, we don't do that. But praise God, thank you. You know, and you got to explain stuff. And they're like, you know, it's like people, they're, 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 so we want people that wouldn't ever come into this facility to get into a relation with us. And that's what he's saying. No, I want you around all types of people. I'm just concerned of who's having an effect on you. And do you have the courage to remove yourself from people that are infecting your worship? Can you reduce your relationship with some people that are having an impression on you? We are impressionable as human beings. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25 says, don't make friends with an angry person. Don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one, or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. So it's amazing. There are people's emotions you could end up mimicking, the way that they answer questions, the way they do things. You could end up finding yourself doing the same things. Proverbs 13 and 20, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. We are impressionable. And the beauty of this is not that we should just begin to think about and in our minds, okay, who's having an effect on me? The greater question we should ask is, am I having an effect on people? Am I having an effect on people? 
Are people seeing the love of God in me? And this is why the church is such a crazy place. Because we fall on one side of this or the other. Either we're like, yo, we just like the world. We do everything the same, you know what I'm saying? We wilding out just like the world. Or we're like super holy and we do Christian bookstores and we do Christian hats and we do Christian t-shirts and we're like blessed and highly favored all the time. And I'm, I'm, I don't want a meal. I want a Christian meal. And we want to do everything Christian, Christian, super Christian and be around Christians all the time. And so we fall on this verse one side of the, and he's like, no, I just want you to be in the world, but not of it. I want you to be different. I want you to be an influence. Back in the day, you go into your classroom, and they have one of these things. You remember a thermometer? Praise God. See those? Be able to gauge the temperature of the room, find out how cold it is, how hot it is. You look at the, look at the thermometer, tell you, man, where is the room at? Because wherever the room is, it will, uh, it will increase and decrease based upon the temperature of the room. But then there's a thermostat. I know some of you New Yorkers don't know what this is, praise the Lord. But in some parts of our world, you can actually control the temperature of your uh, where, you, where you inhabit. And um, in the southern region of our country, where I was for 19 years, I grew accustomed to that. And I didn't realize when I moved up here. I, lo- I literally looked for it. I looked for it. I, we went to my apartment, and I looked for the thermostat. And I was like, where's the thermostat? And I knocked on my neighbors. I was like, where's the thermostat? They looked. They were like, oh, there's no thermostat here, baby. That's called your landlord. You hot? I know you hot. It's called ghetto heat, baby. So a thermometer gauges the temperature of the room, but the thermostat changes the temperature of the room. And what God has called us to not be is spiritual thermometers, where we just see what is everybody talking about? What's everybody doing? What's everybody, you know, whatever I into? Okay, I'm going to gauge how holy I'll be by the atmosphere I'm in. I will, I will admit how much I love Jesus based upon the temperature, the spiritual climate of the room I'm in. But see, a thermostat is far different because a thermostat changes the temperature of the room. And the way that the thermostat, a really good thermostat, you know, like the air that comes on here, I love it. I mean, I love it. I'm being negative. It's crazy. Like, I'll be talking. It's like, butchash. I'm like, gosh, it comes out really hard. But the really good thermostat, it just comes out like, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, it's cooler in here now. Praise God. It feels different. It's changing, right? It's not overwhelming. It just slowly changes. And when people are living a life where they love God, they have that thermostat, slow, progressive change on an atmosphere where people are like, man, you know, my wife is so funny. Um, we'll, we'll go to family reunions and every, all the married wives, you know, they'll get together and, they'll, you know, one wife will be like, man, my husband, he is a trip. And another one will be like, girl, my husband is a trip too. And another one will be like, girl, my husband is a mess. And they'll look at my wife, and my wife's like, I actually like my husband. I don't know. I just, 
I love him. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? We still like each other. You know, and it's so crazy because she's just like, I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like mess up the rhythm. I know I was supposed to be mad too, but I like him. You know, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just telling you I'm in love. Like I'm still cool with this relationship. And all I'm saying is that it's, again, this, this, this text is not just about what's affecting you, but should your love of God be hidden? Would the one who died for you be cool with effectively being a side piece? In, in the fact that we are on a weekend relationship. And the reality is part of the nature of how we can fall into that isn't that we're doing the bad thing of being around sinners. It's that we're not allowing and letting enough people provoke us. You need to be around other believers around non-believers just to see how they rock, just to see what they do, see how they respond. And over time, you will model. You need models and examples. And so Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us watch out for one another, church. So we can provoke love and good works and not neglecting gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more you see the day approaching, all the more that, excuse me, that we know that Christ is coming back, that we believe Christ is real. And so we want to have a real relationship with him and we want others to know him because we believe he's good. And so what kind of gauge, if we're going to be relationally selective, if we're going to be these loving people that God has called us to be, what kind of gauge can we use? We need to increase the people in our life that give love and guide us to be more loving. Got to plus that, got to increase that. We need to increase those people, and allow them into our circle of influence. We need to give them access to us so that they can give love to us and guide us to be more loving. Now, you can't give access to people when you are a mystery. You've got to allow people in. Church, you've got to allow people in. You've got to trust somebody sometime. You've got to let somebody in at some point because you want to grow. You cannot be an isolated Christian. That's an oxymoron. You've got to let people in. Somebody, you've got to let somebody in. Somebody. Hallelujah. <laughs> you've got to let somebody in. You've got to let somebody in. You cannot be this close. i got all these clocked doors and, you know, we fellowship. You bolt out of here. I mean, I don't know if you ran track. People just roll out. This is like, you know, and you judo people all day. No one can get close to you, and it's just like at some point you got to let some let somebody in, because we need to be provoked. 
But then there are people, so there are people in this church that want to give you love and they want to guide you to be more loving. But then there are people who they just take love and they, they, they enjoy the benevolent love and the radical love and they, they take. And those people who are like that, you just have to have limits on them. Now, some people may have these as roommates. Some people may even be in a marriage where the person maybe doesn't know God and the, that person just takes all the time. And you just have to, if you cannot decrease time, you definitely must decrease their influence on your walk with God. But church, there are some people that need to be canceled for a season. There are toxic people who, the, the imagery of toxicity isn't like you see them and you know they're bad. It's, it's poison. They're poisonous to your walk. They corrode your worship. They don't want you to grow. And more importantly, you find yourself doing what they do, saying what they say, watching what they watch. They are modeling unrighteousness and you are following and you're a good student. And those people, you don't have to cancel them forever because God is a God of redemption. I'm, there are people who canceled me, praise God, and I made a comeback, praise the Lord. But what I'm telling you, you are more impressionable than you may want to admit. And if you are impressionable, then you must look at people who are causing you to stumble and causing you to repeat what they do and cancel them for a season. Now I wanna say this, I wanna be loud and clear. I am not necessarily talking about somebody on the block. I'm not necessarily talking about somebody way out there. I could be talking about somebody right in here. There could be somebody in here causing you to gossip. There could be somebody in here causing you to have a negative spirit about everything. There could be somebody in here that is causing you constantly to just operate in the flesh. So I am in no way saying the bad people are out here. I'm saying there's bad stuff inside of all of us. And you may need to cancel aspects of that relationship for a season. Because you want to be, I believe you want to be everything God has called you to be. I believe you want to walk into every opportunity. You want to bless every person. You want to love everybody God made you to bless. This is not just about stopping something. This is about being somebody, being everything God has made you to be. God has given you eyes to see people a certain way. He's given you a heart to love people a certain way. He's given you ears to hear people a certain way. He's designed you a certain way. And you will fundamentally never fulfill the full design, the full intention of God, if you place yourself around people who are corroding the purpose and destiny of your life. Don't be afraid 
Have courage to cancel for a season. Turn down and turn up. Father, we love you. We love you, God. We want to fall more in love with you, Jesus. We want to be more like you, God. Oh, we want to be more like you, God. We want to be more like you, God. We want to be more like you, Jesus. We want to be more like you. And we acknowledge, God, we are moldable, God. And the Bible says that you are the potter and that we're clay. But unfortunately, there are people who have a potter-like effect on me and they're shaping me. And God, I want you Take back your rightful place as the potter. Take back your rightful place as the molder and designer. And I will forever worship you. Help me to be selective, God. Give me the courage to be selective. Give me insight. Give me wisdom. Give me the way. And then God, show me who I need in my life to be who you want me to be. In Jesus' name. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.